I'm really proud of that. You know, sports marketing is predominantly dominated by men. I'm sorry. And but actually to have That's a female, right. <laughs> female seat. I've got my red trousers and boat shoes on as I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm Matt Rogan, and this is the Playbook Podcast, where leaders from inside and outside sport share some pragmatic advice for us for leading and managing through changing times in our industry. As we're recording today, it's the middle of December, and one way or another, pretty much the whole industry has part of their brain focused on business planning. So if your financial year starts in January, you're pretty much ready to go with a brand new year and a brand new start. Uh, But if it's April, you might have run a few sessions with your team or submitted some initial numbers, but still be polishing whatever it was you're working on. But if you're late and nowhere near it or think your process could do with a bit of work, then fear not because today help is at hand. This is all the ground I'll be covering with this week's interviewee, Louise Johnson, who's CEO at Fuse. Fuse is part of Omnicom Media Group. As an agency, it provides marketing and commercial services for brands and rights holders that specialize in partnerships and experiences in sport, entertainment, cause and culture. The business has got a team of over 100 in the UK and 250 across Europe, working with some of the world's top brands. Louise herself is a member of the Omnicom Media Group UK board. She's been highly commended at the Management Today Inspiring Women in Business Awards for the CEO of the Year category, and she's an IPA iList member for her dedication to improving diversity and inclusivity in the workforce. I asked Louise on specifically for this topic, though, because of the scale of the business planning she has each year. Not only is she balancing the need to engage a talented multinational employee base, but she also has to plan her business in a way that's going to work for a big multinational corporate parent. And I know through going through some of the same processes within WPP, that's really not an easy balance. So Louise, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. And I guess just start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about Fuse? Because I think typically it's, it can be a little bit of a misunderstood organisation. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I think um, we're still still a little bit sort of head down. I don't think we're sort of you know head up as much as other agencies. I think that's just because we've had um, a huge amount of success in the sort of first 10 years that we haven't really had to come up. But I think um, over the last couple of, of years, we're, we're now, you know, got a very um, confident external s- strategy in terms of how we, I guess, let people know a little bit more about us. So um, just to go back a step. So um, Fuse is a the sport and entertainment agency within Omnicom Media Group. So we service brands um, in terms of sponsorships and activations, but also on the rights holder side, really consulting them with their commercial proposition, data and digital. So we're about to say about 12 years old, I think, um, which is relatively still quite young when we look at the competitive set. So, um, but we've had a huge amount of, um, of growth and worked with some fantastic brands like Nissan, PepsiCo, Vodafone, Carlsberg, Google, some amazing clients that we're really proud of. But we're not just um, UK, we have our global HQ in London. Um, there's about hundreds of, us, hundreds of us in the UK business and then across um, 
the rest of the world, we've got about another 250 for EMEA and for APAC, which I'm also responsible for. So um, it's actually a global practice with you know, expanding into, into new markets as well. And, um, and I suppose just the other bit to mention is that we earlier this year launched a new division called Fuse Ignite, which is very much focused at rights holders and how we can be really kind of commercial consultants and trusted advisors to them, helping navigate um, this quite sort of interesting time where I think sponsorship world, sports marketing is, is really trying to catch up with the rest of the media and marketing landscape. So that's been really interesting. We've had some fantastic clients like Formula One and England Netball and, and Arsenal um, to work with. So yeah, that's a little bit about Fuse. And I guess an interesting connection in the sense that we first met probably when we, you and I were working together on a pitch with, uh, with Mark Bullion. Who's yes, the, yes, Billy. <laughs> uh, who is uh, CEO at Fuse and now CEO, of course, at the FA. Where he, um, and you spent quite a while at Fuse, right? So you come up through the organization as an MD and, and then moved to, to CEO role. Wait, tell us a bit about your general background and then how that transitions felt in terms of the incremental changes from an MD to kicking bully out to be a CEO. <laughs> How's that worked? <laughs> Tried for years. Finally, I got yeah. elbowed him out and took the, yeah. took the top job. Um, <laughs> so no, so my background um, is a little bit different, actually. So I actually started doing um, sponsorship for a music documentary that was based out in Sahara Desert, the, the Timbuktu. So I actually went out and to, to film it as well. So completely different to to what, I, you know, what I'm doing. Um, well, still in sponsorship, but completely different uh, industry. So then I moved on to doing um, PR and events for luxury fashion and lifestyle brands. So I was doing sort of high-end events for people like Prada and then Diageo Premium Portfolio, which was fantastic. But then quite early on, about 26, I decided to go client-side and went over to Vodafone Global to work on all of their global portfolios. So um, at the time, it was the creme de la creme of sports sponsorship, it really was. It was Ferrari then going into McLaren F1. It was Man United going into Champions League. We had David Beckham, we had Michael Schumacher um, and, and the England cricket team as well. So um, it's a real place where I think where I met a huge amount of amazing people that I still work with today. So it was a real pivot in my, in my career, I think, actually. Um, I then went on to RBS, which was really interesting. And it was literally the height of the financial crisis. I actually walked in my first day joining RBS I walked in and on all the TV screens it was 80 billion pound bailout of RBS I was like oh my oh. god what have I done <laughs> I'm thinking can I get out of my contract which I couldn't um but if I look back now um it was the most interesting 18 months I've ever had in my career actually it's true you know you learn so much more in a crisis like I'm sure you know all of us have learned so much going through the pandemic but going through that that financial crisis being at the heart of the business um, you know sitting next to their PR and corporate affairs team was just fascinating but also a huge um, a piece of learning for me in terms of how to be a leader in different scenarios because you know I had no emotional baggage to the bank I just joined and was pretty much told what to do you know you'll be exiting from Formula One um, from the Williams team and you'll be working with number 10 to do it but then you'd go up to Gogoburn in Edinburgh where people had been at the bank for a huge amount of time um, and unfortunately you had lost you know shares and put all, sorry put all their shares into um, their bonuses and things like that into shares they'd lost a lot so being a different leader was very very important being empathetic and really understanding where they were they were going to so a huge amount of experience. And um, but then I got a phone call from David Pennington, who I used to work with at Vodafone, um, legendary David Pennington. And he said, I've started up this sports division at Omnicom. Do you fancy a challenge? 
And I just went, yes, <laughs> I could have gone anywhere. He was such a fantastic man that I, you know, anywhere he would have gone, I would have you know, joined. So, yeah, so that was, goodness, 11 years ago. And I've been, I sort of joined as a director at um, Omnicom Media Group. It was just a sports division then. And um, risen from director to head of Fuse International to deputy MD, MD, and then CEO. And um, and yeah, so no, I finally managed to push, push Mark out <laughs> um, <laughs> about 2006. So just I was just newly made the MD and um, Mark decided that he was off to, uh, to bigger and bolder things. And um, I wished him wish him well. And um, yeah, and I've been running the agency ever since. I um, I got made CEO about three years ago, just at the end of 2018. So yeah, so running the agency for about, um, yeah, about five years on my own. And then, sorry, not on my own, I've got an amazing team behind me, but running the agency um, as me in the lead. I don't know if you saw yesterday, um, one of Elon Musk's random shooting offs around job titles in companies being absolutely ridiculous and he's called a ceo and doesn't really know what that means and what's your experience been so you sort of director deputy md md ceo has that characterized kind of marked differences in the role for you it really has actually i was thinking about that earlier today and i think i now i love being a ceo i think it is really empowering you get to set your vision you get to you know be external facing look at the growth opportunities and how you can build the business and looking at market trends and things how that can influence I think looking back at the MD role I think that's the hardest job to do it really is and I I empathize with all of the MDs out there because it's you know you're getting it from above you're getting it from below and you're trying to run the business and you're very internally facing and it's it's really difficult actually it's a really difficult role whereas deputy MD you're sort of just you know you're learning what's going on and how to do things and then you're MD and it's like it's coming from all sides so I, I look back and I think um you know, Omnicom and Fuse have given me an amazing opportunity every sort of year that I sort of think, oh, you know, I've got this, brilliant. Um, they sort of just throw something else at you and you go, oh, here we go again. But yeah, I definitely think the MD was the hardest role for me. And I think just moving into CEO, it's just, it's been brilliant. I've loved it. Um, I mean, I've loved every position at Fuse, but I think the CEO role is, it's really, really fun as well. And I think we forget that sometimes that, you know, you spend so much time with everybody um, at work that that this needs to be, you know, an element of hard work with a lot of fun along the way as well. But there's also a bit in the roles around um, how you want other people to perceive you or your business. So I think about, I remember us having a conversation when the three of us were sat around um, kicking off two circles saying, well, I'll be MD. It's just about ridiculous. There are three of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'll be employee number two and MD. Like, But at the same time, then thinking about, and having a conversation about, well, um, we're two, three years old now and we want people to think that we have more of an external lens in the world rather than just trying to keep the tiles on our own internal space rocket. So that's when moving to MD to chief exec felt like a sensible thing to do in terms of how we wanted people to perceive our business in the market and probably a bit around my own confidence as well, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's, um, I think you're right. Again, for me, just I'm very similar, actually. I think becoming the CEO, you know, your part of your role is to be externally facing and to do more thought leadership and get out there. And I remember my um, sort of mentor at the time, Philippa Brown, um, who said, you know, right, now as your CEO, I'm a CEO and I spend 70% of my time with clients 
going out, understanding what their business is like, what they're doing, um, how we can help. And she goes, right, as you as CEO, this is what you need to be doing now. And it's really interesting, actually, because I was like, my goodness, 70% is such a huge amount of your time. But that's what, you know, she did. And she's brilliant at it as well. I think going back to the point around sort of having that confidence, I think, yeah, once you start going out there and being that face of the agency and really sort of starting to do all of the things that you should be doing, it does you know, you get a huge amount of confidence from it. And it's also enjoyable as well. So I, I wouldn't say I do 70% of my client with clients. Now. I definitely do about 50%. Um, but yes, but it's, it is, it's about having, a, I, just, I just believe it's, you know, we've had such a sort of difficult two years. I think it's now really important to remember that this is, you know, we're working in sports marketing. We need to have a, an element of fun with what we do as well. It is. I remember the conversation I had with the lady who mentored me through the Two Circles journey, which is Karen Earl. Um, yes, lovely Karen. Yeah, and and to the, she had that sideways look. She sort of looked at me almost. Well, yeah, that's your. I would be worried if you weren't doing those things already. At which point I thought, oh, okay, <laughs> better crack on. <laughs> what, what was the hardest thing for you to step away from? So when when you moved to that more external facing role, was the hardest thing to to do less of? I don't think it was particularly one thing. I think it was more about, it probably took a good six months to work out the lay of the land between myself and and Steve Hutchinson, who's the MD. And I think it took us a good six months to kind of go, oh, hold on, I've got to give that to you. And, you know, you've got to step up and do that. So it was a bit kind of sort of stepping on each other's toes, but being really polite about it for six months. (laughs) And I think after sort of Christmas, we just sat down and go, right, okay, right, what are you doing? What am I doing? Um, So I think moving forward in any of those situations where you have got the MD and the CEO, it's really clear to be, right, here's the five things that I'm concentrating on. Here's the five things that you're doing. And really articulating that as well to... um, to the rest of the business, because I think when you organic, you know, get promoted and grow organically in a business, it's quite difficult for people to let go of what they should be coming to you for and saying, no, sorry, that's not for me. That's for the MD or that's for my managing partner. Because if you come in new, I think it's, it's you know, there's a cleaner, cleaner lines of delineation and where you go to and what you do. So I think learnings from me moving forward, it's, yeah, it's really having clear roles and responsibilities, whether that's an internal and external or external hire. And that includes the way you contract with clients, right? So how do you handle the fact that, you know, you might be in a client pitch, but you might actually not be that involved in the day-to-day delivery for a client and you need to contract around that with your team, but also with clients. How do you do that? I never found that very easy. It's really challenging as well, because of course, you know, you get involved in the pitch, you get really underneath the skin of uh, the the brief and the challenge and you're passionate about presenting it. It's really, it's really fun. It's really fun when it's a good brief. Um, (laughs) And, um, we, you know, we, we always put a board member on the piece of business, you know, regardless of, of how, um, how big or how small it is. It's really important for us to build that relationship with our clients. But I think once you've won it and you spend the sort of the first six weeks really embedding it with the team and building up that relationship with clients, you, you have to sort of force yourself to take a step back and empower the business director or, or the managing partner who's running it. And um, I have been really strict with myself to do that because otherwise you don't get to do the job that you're supposed to be doing as well. And um, I think uh, someone taught me, didn't teach me, sorry, they told me to read, which I did, was um, Stephen Covey's book of, you know, the the seven habits of being a highly effective leader. And actually, you don't need to read the whole book. There's only one page that you really need to read. And that's kind of, you know, the quadrant of where you should be operating. It's Q1 is all about, you know, being um, really busy and everything's really urgent. And Q2 is all about, you know, being you know, everything's important, but it's not urgent. And actually, as a leader and CEO, you need to be in quadrant two more. And um, 
And I just thought that's really interesting. And I try and live by that as much as possible because, you know, we're always going to get dragged into responding to emails. You know, a client calls at five o'clock. You're going to take that call and you've got to, you know, respond to that. But actually, if you're not strict with yourself and set what I call golden time a couple of times a week to look at, right, what's my long term plan? What are we delivering? What goals have we said that we're delivering for this commercial year, but also our long term ambition and vision? Where are we getting to that? Why hasn't someone moved this on? Then, you know, you're never going to evolve the business. And I think um, that's been a, a real learning that, of course, you need to have the balance of being involved in the craft and having, you know, enough detail of what's going on with the business and uh, really sort of working um, with, with clients. But at the same time, you've got to really prioritize business planning and the future of your business. And, you know, where's the risk that you, um, you're currently looking at as well? Absolutely. We'll talk maybe about about um, the wide world of business planning now. Although before we do, just a quick, anyone who's got uh, got teenagers, Kobe actually wrote, wrote another book called Seven Habits of Effective Teenagers, which is brilliant. <laughs> which, which is brilliant. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, my, my son got right through it. Actually, I think he really enjoyed it. Um, anyway, that's a, that's a random aside. Um, so let's talk about business planning instead of teenage planning. Um, I, I guess, so we're, we're chatting, aren't we, in the, in the middle of December when for some of us who are on a January financial year, um, they might be sort of preparing the organization to go on the B of the bang of a, of a new year. And some of us, um, might be in the middle of the actual planning process for a, for an April start. Where, where are you? Where, when does your financial year work? So we're January to December. So we, we kick off in January. Um, how we do our planning is um, we actually start in July. We usually do um, a big sort of board review of, you know, a way day looking at where we are as a business, where we need to get to based on um, market trends, what clients are asking us for and, and what we're seeing from, from the competition as well. Okay, so, we, so that's outside in. As a start yes. point, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So that's completely off our, our own back. We always get together and do a, a really big session to you know go what's worked well, what hasn't, where are we profitable, where are we not profitable, you know what are, what are clients thinking about us. And, and ahead of that, we always do um, a do a whole bunch of interviews with our clients as well. Just a very kind of quick phone call, five questions for you. What you know, what do you think of um, the business at the moment? Where it, what keeps you up at night? Um, where could Fuse be helping you in the future? So we, we take that as well because that's such useful information. And then so we start doing um, from that board board day. We start planning for next year. So start in July, but actually, you know, we don't need to submit the plan until January. Um, so then we do our first cut of our commercial plan in, we start doing that in September. And that's all for our annual commercial plan, which we have to deliver to Omnicom. We present that in October. So that's sort of pretty much wrapped up. And then we make a few tweaks um, now in December and beginning of January. And then we submit our final plan in January. So it's quite a well-oiled machine um, of what, what we do. Um, but we also do, um, in conjunction with that, we also have our long-term plan as well. So where do we want to be as a business in, in three years? So that's being currently worked on at the moment. And um, yeah, but then in terms of annual planning, we start from July. It's a, do you have a sense by July of how the year that you're currently living in is going to play out? So, you know, would you, do you get a sense of whether you're going to be going to next year with a with a headwind or a tailwind or how, how the world's going to feel? Or is it too fluid for that? It really is completely, this is what's going on in the wider world at large. Yeah, I mean, I think July is 
You're right. July is probably a little bit too early because, you know, if you look at this year, the first six months of the, the year, there was so much trepidation still from clients and budgets weren't really being unlocked. And then the second half of this year, sort of from September onwards, it's a completely different um, environment. You know, budgets are being unlocked. People have found money. People want to look ahead and, and review their partnerships and sponsorships. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so July probably is a little bit early in terms of like what we know the sort of you know the, the environmental situation is for for next year. But we can have a guess. We can still say you know our big bets are these three things because actually that's a longer term plan. We want to focus on fewer things but do them better. Um, and I think you know this is why we you know we try and get in as early as possible. So doing the commercials, which we need to deliver to Omnicom, they have an annual planning. Um, we have to you know then do that in October, which is still you know, still quite early compared to other people. But then we've got that buffer of three months to make any amendments going into our final plan in January, which um, which is, you know, as we were saying earlier, there's lots of pitches going on at the moment, lots of, you know, pieces of business being renewed. If any of those land, then of course you've got to adapt, adapt that plan. Yeah, the sign of a good plan is that you start the plan and it's already out of date because you want an extra bit of work. That's a, that's <laughs> yeah. a nice problem to have. Um, I guess it, you know, what I like about that though is that um, you're very clear that the strategy of the organization leads the numbers rather than numbers needs the strategy, you know, because we talked to a lot of agencies in our time at WPP who, whose process started when the spreadsheet arrived from HQ. Uh, and that always felt to me to be the, the sort of the wrong way around, you know, the template spreadsheet was leading how you thought about the world. And so you started from a position of saying, well, okay, you want an extra percentage margin. So we'll put our revenues up 10% and our costs up 9% and she'll call that a job done. And that just seemed a real miss in particular with somewhere moving as quickly as sport. Yeah, absolutely. I always found as well, because we, we deliver an annual commercial plan and then you kind of get to December and like, oh, I've delivered it. And thank goodness. And then you come to the January the 4th and you're like, oh, here we go again. And actually there was no kind of, well, actually, you know, what's the longer term strategy? How are we actually growing towards something? And actually, you know, increasing profitability isn't just even going to happen in one year. Some elements of driving more of a profitable business can happen and has to happen over numerous years as well. And operational effectiveness and things like that. It just can't happen as quickly as, as one year. So I think that's really helped us. Now, don't get me wrong. I think when we were, sort of, you know, in our earlier days, we we would probably go into a business meeting and, and take any piece of business because we were so, so eager to just kind of get going on things. And the client would say, can you do this? And we said, yes, of course. And then worked out how to do it afterwards. And <laughs> we've all been we've there. We've all been there, exactly. <laughs> I think diversification is very much driven by um you know, personalities and opportunities, but doesn't necessarily lean to that long-term revenue. So I think now that we, we've adopted that long-term strategic review, which we do every year, and then what's the three-year plan? How are we amending that and, and working towards something? Um, it's also really important as well to have that long-term plan for the agency. Like, what's the vision? What are you all working towards? You know, what does that look like in your PDP? Um, what are we trying to communicate in our thought leadership? What are we trying to say externally? Um, so it's really important that you have something for everyone to to shoot towards and, and, um, and make that happen collectively. Uh, and you talk, they're about sort of engaging the broader team. Um, I had a permanent question mark in my head around how much engagement is enough engagement, but without being too much. So you completely distract everyone from the sort of day at large. And we definitely had a couple of sort of strategy planning Fridays across the whole business where you could see people go, you know what, can we do a couple of hours and then I can get my work done and go home on time and end up in the pub in time rather than 
you know, the six hours we had planned with the best intentions and trying to engage the whole team in, in the decisions we made. Um, where, where do you, how do you draw those lines in terms of engaging the team? It's a really good question. And um, I think what we have been doing recently, which has had a huge amount of success, is, is really sort of working as a board in the first instance to get to a, I suppose, a starting position to understand sort of the general travel direction, what are the big bets, how might this manifest? But then when we get to that point is then bringing in the senior leadership team to say, right, this is where we're going. We'd love to get your feedback. But also, how is that now going to um, work in your particular pillar, whether that's the entertainment pillar or um, the data and analytics pillar or the, you know, Fuse Ignite. So um, that's kind of what we want to do to so bring them on that journey. And because they're such fantastic, you know, SLT are fantastic, there's such big brains on there. We don't want to exclude any great thinking. But I think from the first instance, it's got to be led by the board and really having clarity on what it is that we need to be getting to and also you know we've got more visibility on what Omnicom are telling us and what they're requesting from us so you know there's a commercial reality that we're part of a network and we have to deliver an annual commercial plan which is set within Omnicom perimeters but then from a fuse point of view we have to have a longer term vision as well because we're a growing business and we need to um, mirror that as well and particularly sort of changing sport environment sports marketing environment as well. How do you handle the international nature of that? So will you have international plans feed up to a group plan or you group plan and then you break that down into markets? How do you, how do you manage that? So at the moment, it's very much been sort of bottom up. And so we have um, we've got eight, not eight markets in EMEA, really strong markets in France and Germany. Um, we've got, we launched APAC last year with Singapore and um, China. So previously it's been very much bottom up but as we move forward with our again our three-year plan we want to make sure that we've got a very strong global business unit so there's a lot more direction coming from the global team in terms of service offering products where we want to get to financially in terms of revenue as well so again it's it's been about sort of taking those markets on that journey with us because they're all independently fantastic markets but of course in, they report into their own ceos as well as um, as well as ourselves but it has been very much around you need a bit of both so we're moving from bottom up to more of bottom down but again it's going to take i think you know a good six months to, to get everybody on that journey with us as well that makes sense when a lot of the the clients you talk to are global clients right so yeah they also have an international agendas and so be able to match that global agenda that the client has with the, the global agenda that you has makes a major bunk of sense do you, do you notice it particularly challenging to do that bottom up at the moment when or even top down at the moment when um different markets are perhaps in different positions with regards to covid in particular and so their domestic scenes are, are very very different than they might have been two years ago yeah, it's really interesting because we have some markets like New Zealand who have only just come out of lockdown. Um, I, think, well, I think it might still be in it, actually. So, yes, you've got, you know, very different markets where you're, you know, you're talking about sports marketing and, you know, big events coming up. And they're like, oh, God, you know, we're still sitting here working from home. Um, so, yeah, of course, it's really challenging. I think, you know, APAC has been um, in and out of lockdown um, after us as well. So there's slower growth there than we anticipated, but still, you know, a good trajectory on um, for a first year. In terms of the EMEA markets, I think, you know, there's because there's so many major events coming up in Europe, we haven't necessarily seen too much um, 
I suppose too much fallout from COVID actually, because obviously you've got Rugby World Cup, you've got the Olympics, you've got Ryder Cups, there's a huge amount to play for. In addition, I think COVID also made everybody diversify. So whether that be into more consultancy to clients, more commercial consultancy to brands, then now we're starting to see the benefits of those divisions being set up locally as well. And what does, um, what, what is your business planning process going to look like for me if i so if i join the organization say um tomorrow middle of december as an account exec in 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 one of your offices um how will i come across the business plan what will i I see something in the office will you be talking to me about what it looks like how how much do you connect everyone even at the most junior levels with with where the organization's going yeah, really good question. I'm a big believer of being as transparent as possible um, with as much information as, as, as we can or as um, our network will let us. Because I think, again, you know, if you're not given the bigger picture, it makes it really difficult for you to do your job and, and aspire to, to sort of, you know, working hard for the greater good. Um, so, yeah, of course, when the account is that starts, um, we'll always do like, you know, a, a big sort of um, a, a big introduction session to them. But then we'll also do a board breakfast. So the board will take out those new members and, and just talk a little bit about our own experience, our history. But then we'll talk about the future of the business. So that's a very sort of informal place to do it. But we also do um, we do quarterly presentations to the whole business. And that's showing them what the strategy is once we've had it signed off and then every quarter how we're delivering against that not just only in terms of um, financials but how we're doing that in terms of the other um, other metrics as well in terms of product development um, new business pitching um, or conversion and and um, and marketing as well so that's really how we are sort of officially do it but then we also look for opportunities we do board one-to-ones as well so anybody can come and do a 20-minute session with us once a week and again it's their opportunity to ask us any questions um, so a lot of that comes out then they're saying you know well, I've heard that you're looking to develop an office in the US what does that mean how does that fit in you know is there any opportunity for me to get involved or you might get a question about oh Fusic Knight is really interesting actually I've spoken to a rights holder friend of mine who's interested can we can you tell me more about it so that's been really really useful we also try to bring in some of the language as well from that strategic ambition and the vision into people's um, performance reviews as well and looking at those KPIs and how we can bring bring them in I'm also you know when I when I have my goals, which are pretty much the agency goals, I make I cascade that down and I make it really, really clear. Here's exactly what my boss at Omicron Media Group UK is going to be um, is going to be sort of tasking me with and making sure that I agree I deliver on those. So again, it's trying to be as transparent as possible to the agency. That makes total sense, and I, and trying to cascade yeah, even just some of the language out from your overall company strategy. Things like a job spec makes so much sense. You know, we used to a balanced scorecard really simple one at at two circles to frame what we were trying to do in any one year and just a simple process of of doing everyone's pdps against that same framework so they could see they had you know maybe one maybe two maybe three or four objectives in each quadrant against the same goals that the company did just kind of lines it up in a in a really important way and i guess the other thing that was interesting uh, for us at Two Circles was um, actually whether we were talking to people in the broader sports industry who maybe at the time, not anymore, um, maybe a little bit older than us and come up, grown up in sort of slightly different style of management. Um, certainly WPP worked in much bigger businesses than, than our agency. 
that the amount of openness that we naturally felt like we should be providing, not least with an average age of 27 or 28 and different expectations in our agency, it's completely different to what they deemed appropriate. And so actually the verbal informal stuff you can do is really powerful in terms of being able to meet the needs of your customers with what your your parent company might <laughs> might think is appropriate. You don't have to comment on that. But. <laughs> no, but it's true. I mean, the board one-to-ones have been like really fascinating and really enjoyable, particularly during lockdown as well, because you'd be doing lots of company meetings, but on, you know, on Teams or Zoom and you know, you're real presenting to yourself essentially because you can't see everyone. And it, it's, it's like, you know, anyone got any questions? Anyone? Anyone? So actually when you have board one-to-ones, it's brilliant. You know, we'd often do a walk and a talk on the mobile rather than the team, getting people off Teams and things like that. And it's actually, it's quite nice reverse mentoring because you're like, well, what's going on in your world? What are you seeing the big trends? And, you know, what can we do? And I always ask um, one of the fuses that I'm talking to, you know, I've got two questions. This is your session, but I've got two questions for you at the end. You know, what can we be doing more for you and what we can do more for the agency? And it's just, it's just, you know, it's only 20 minutes and longer if we need it to be. But again, just getting that insight and starting that relationship or building that relationship is really important. Completely. So, so you, you talk to clients and you ask them the five or six questions right at the beginning of the process. Um, when do you go back to them and sort of check in with a what's come out of the planning process or b you know to, to get more informal feedback as to how things are going? So usually in January we hold um, breakfast with our clients to talk about the, the year ahead. Obviously we started planning that way before, not only just from a few central perspective, but obviously on their, their accounts. But um, we use um, January as a good time just to really sort of check in with, with our clients to understand, okay, is it your priorities still the priorities? We've listened to you. Here's sort of, you know, an update on, on our business and where we're going. But then how does that actually reflect in your account team as well? So we always try and do that in January when um, it's, it's a bit difficult to do a proper business business lunch or breakfast in December because everyone's out and about. Um, but yeah, but that usually works really well. And um, they're really, they're really grateful for all that update. I think also as well, because we've got so much um, insight and intelligence from Omicron Media Group in terms of, you know, we can get um, information on what the trends are in media, you know, from now until 2025 from our chief um market analysis we've got insight into 230 brands what you know cmos and ceos are talking about actually relaying that to our clients as well and saying here's what we're hearing is really important to, to some of our clients because actually you know working one brand sometimes you, you know you you get um, confined in that particular area or category because that's just the nature of your job so by opening up that information they're, they're really grateful for that yeah we, we always found as well that um actually you know, if you're very senior in a, in a corporate organization or a rights holder, you're really interested in how kind of a kooky little agency might work and actually just letting them in a little bit on, on your stories and, you know, how you find people and what things are you managing your P&L and things. Actually, they, you can almost convey a little bit of or share a little bit of ownership of the overall business, which is hugely powerful from a client loyalty and retention perspective. Oh, completely. I actually found that during lockdown, I think our clients with our relationship, our relationships with our clients got better. Yeah, I, I mean they were good, they were good anyway. But I'm sure most of the agencies would say this as well. But because you're sort of in it together, you're you know helping them as much as possible, guiding them through contracts and moving everything into a digital world. But also, I think just that sense of you know we're actually it's not just 
two people transactional. We are a proper partnership and we talk about it. But I think it was a really good demonstration of actually going through that very difficult time together. It's also a great way because most of my, a lot of my, not most of them, but lots of my clients live in Northwest London where I live. So actually, I actually saw them more during lockdown because you could go for a walk and a talk. And it was a great opportunity for them. To, you know, they, my, you know, my Vodafone client would ask me, how is your business? You know, what's going on? And they were, you're right, they were so interested to see how we were handling it versus how, you know, their business was handling it. So it was actually a good way to, I suppose, connect better to our clients as well. And how do you keep the, um, maybe some of those softer, more emotive places of the business plan live year on year? So I know for you on a personal level and through Fuse, diversity in all its senses has been hugely important. So how do you, you know, and I assume that's written into your business objectives and your plan every year, but how, how do you make sure that something like that doesn't get lost? How do you kind of hardwire it into the plan to make sure it's it's thought about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Um, it's a really good question. So we have a committee called Fuse Open, which is about how we're diversifying and making our, diversifying the, the makeup of our um, our workforce, but also making sure that Fuse is a really inclusive place to work. So we do a really good job on gender, and I, mean, I think sixty percent. Of what it is. 60% of the board is female, 76% of the senior leadership team is female, and overall we're 56% female as an agency. So I'm really proud of that. You know, sports marketing is predominantly dominated by men. I'm sorry. And but actually to have That's a female, right. <laughs> female seat. I've got my red trousers and boat shoes on as I'm talking to you. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, we've got female CEO, a female CFO, and a female managing partner. And I think that's an incredibly strong uh, message for the industry as well. So we, we do a really good job. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's obvious, you know, we've got female leadership. So therefore, we bring programs of sponsoring and mentoring and, you know, really encouraging gender equality and, and making sure that there is an agenda pay gap as well. Um, but then on the other side, we haven't done a particularly great job when it comes to multicultural element of you know the DNI will and that's a real focus for us um, it has been for the last two years but it will be for the ongoing as well and we've set targets you know we, we set targets we've got to increase um, our multicultural makeup by 25 percent um, by the end of 2023 so and we're on that journey and we were doing a good job in terms of how we can bring um bring people from different lived experiences through grassroots and working with partners um, however I think we still need to do a bit of a better job at middle and senior management. And I think there's, you know, numerous ways that we can do that, obviously working with, you know, very specialised recruitment consultants. But I do feel it's, it's a real, um, it's a real action on all of us as well. I think, you know, if you really want to have a diverse, inclusive agency, you've got to really walk the walk and talk the talk. And, you know, we've been doing lots of training. We've been also working on an outreach program as well. So how, you know, who are the sort of new stars, up and coming stars in our industry that we need to, um, need to be aware of and, and how do we actually start building those relationships with those with those people as well and it's something that um we've recently done i'm part of wackle which is women in advertising and communications leadership and um, i sit on the exec board but i run the new members committee and that's been incredibly powerful actually because you know we're trying to again make it more diverse and inclusive makeup of the club um again what reflects real britain but it's quite difficult to do that when actually you've got people just nominating their friends and like for like. 
So again, we've sort of set up an outreach program by looking at fantastic um, female leaders across the marketing and communications business and actually inviting them to come in and saying, you know, we think that you would be fantastic to, um, to be part of this, this club. You know, would you like to join? So that's been really, really useful. And actually, you know, um, uh, just under half of the intake for this cycle um, was from people, sorry, for ladies from different lived experience. So I'm really proud of that. That's fantastic. Uh, and, and it sounds like then, just to paraphrase, to have an internal group from across the organization focused on it, really important role of senior role modeling, um, the behaviors that, and, and, and the decisions that you're looking to have across the whole organization, um, some specific targeted outreach and telling those stories back into the organization. Is that is that a sense? You said it a lot better than I did, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening. So, so how does, is, that, is that the recipe you use for something like climate change as well? So something else that's clear on all of our minds at the moment? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I think climate change and disability are some of that were two of the hardest spokes on the DNI wheel. And, um, you know, I, I'm very involved in the, um, I'm a sponsor for the diversity um, committee across Omnicom. And, it's really challenging because, again, there's so many areas within disability, visible and invisible, and there's only so much that you can control in a business versus what's at your control. So even things about, you know, the building, how can we make sure that all the doors are wheelchair access proof and things like that? That's a huge amount of stuff that's going to take a long time to change. Whereas actually, how can we focus on things that we can impact quickly, like having your disability confidence certificates, you know, one and two as a starter for 10. And um, so with climate change, we have had to take a very, um, I suppose, a, advisory approach from um, various different people within Omnicom Media Group. We're part of the AdNet Zero campaign for the advertising agency to work in this. And we're getting advice on them and how to make our business more sustainable, of course, is a, an absolute fundamental. I think it's also as well, we can help with our clients. We're doing a lot of work at the moment with um, PepsiCo and Lay's Pack to Pitches and how we can help them bring to life their sustainability credentials and, and their business imperatives through the power of partnerships. Um, we're also working with Nissan, who are doing a lot with disability and making more running events accessible. We're working with Royal London um, on the... Um, the feasibility study for the women's lions coming up. And um, so, yes, yeah, so there's lots of things that we're trying to do as well um, to, to make sure that we're not only working with our clients to do this and showcasing what we can do within the power of sport and entertainment. But yes, absolutely. Climate change is a tricky one. And I think really moving and um, trying to get advice and proper consultation from experts is, is really fundamental. Let's move on to um, a couple of the thorniest areas of, of, leadership and planning if that's all right before we close out um how do you handle the financials so what kind of a leader are you are, are you checking hourly to see whether you're on plan or off plan weekly monthly or you just cross your fingers and, <laughs> and the best. put your head under a pillow and hope for the best like how do you handle that and how do you what's the appropriate amount of detail to check whether you're on plan or not yeah, we, so I, I'm very much big picture and I've got an amazing CFO who's 
fantastic at all the detail um, and, and together we're, we're a good unit. Um, but we have, of course, I've got to be close to the numbers. That's number one rule, isn't it? It's any business, know your numbers inside out. So um, we have monthly reporting. So we have monthly uh, board meeting where we go through those numbers. We're really analytical on each division. You know, where are they against their profitability targets? Where are they against their resource? How are they tracking against their staff cost ratio and things like that? And we also report those numbers to Omnicom as well each month. So we have um, a quarterly update to Omnicom which is, you know, your final plan, your three plus nine, your six plus six, and then your nine plus three. In terms of, you'll probably remember this from your WPP oh, days. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's a deep dive every quarter into, right, you promised you were going to deliver this. What have you got confirmed? What's projected? What's the risks? And what's, you know, the changing environment? So, um, and if you're doing quite well, they offer up your target as well, <laughs> which, which we've experienced quite a few times. So, um, so yes, we have to. So monthly, monthly numbers is absolutely key. But we also try and make um, everybody a lot more commercially minded as well. It shouldn't just be the board who, you know, understand what's going on in the business. So we really empower the senior leadership team and then their direct reports to really understand the commercials. We do a lot of commercial and negotiation training. Um, we bring in great speakers um, from different walks of life um, in the commercial area to talk through how they approach it as well. So it's really important to have that commercial um, experience, but also to be able to you know, ask clients the, the right questions and ask them about their broader business as well. I, I totally agree. And ultimately, you're looking to breed uh, another 20, 30 people in the organization who could potentially do your role. Uh, and you know, it's another thing that I think the sports industry traditionally has shied away from. You know, why would I want somebody with the same skills as me? Then I become replaceable. But actually, <laughs> then you get to kind of move more big picture and, and have more influence in a different shape or form. So, um, but with regards to that, that financial management, you know, the day, it always seems to me like it's, it's pretty stressful and not that helpful to be in the hour to hour, day to day, even the week to week sometimes. At the same time, you've, you've got to be in enough detail um, to be able to manage growth responsibly. Yeah, because there's always a problem when you're running an agency. It's either too much work and not enough people or too many people and not enough work. And so ideally, you make that stress and that tension as, as little as possible. So you need to be in it enough to manage that. Um, you got any tips for managing that? <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really good question. I mean, we have um, a fantastic lady who's our operations director, and she really goes into the resource for all of our team in you know very minute details. So we understand where people are um, not being utilised at one hundred percent, or people are being overstretched as well. And we'll really like we'll base our scopes of work, of course, on the right talent, but also where people have got um, response, resource, and responsibility. Um, so. That's been really helpful to get us to understand how we can be more profitable as a, as a business. But also as well, we've been a lot stronger and stricter, I would say, with the work that we're going after. So with this you know, long-term planning, we've really focused on sport and entertainment. And to make sure we're laser-focused on that, we've had to um, divest into other areas. And you know, in the short term, that can hurt you financially, of course. But actually, in the long term, it's the right thing to do because... You know, these are, again, maybe sort of divisions that we think have been brilliant at the time, as we spoke about earlier, but actually are now, you know, they're not delivering repeat work. It's not as profitable as it used to be. Actually, clients are asking slightly different questions now. And if we really want to be driving, you know, all of our energies in the same direction, we've had to take some hard decisions to do that. Um, and that's been quite interesting, actually. And I, I think that's probably one of the one of the things 
that I would sort of, you know, I suppose um, recommend or, or say to somebody else, like, don't be scared to make some of those changes. Um, and, and, you know, just because you've done something in the past 10 years doesn't mean that you necessarily need to do it for the next three to five years as well. So be brave and, and be really focused. It's a phrase I probably overuse on the podcast, but you only know you've got a strategy when you say no to things. Yes. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's hugely important. Um, yeah, exactly. And going after the right work is really important to do that because you know what it's like. You've been in, oh God, we said yes to this pitch, but I'm not actually sure it's right for us. And, you know, it's a huge amount of resource and then, you know, you don't win it. And it's like, oh, okay, we knew we shouldn't have gone for that. It, we're not the right fit. Um, or, you know, that project seems really exciting, but it's not going to repeat. And actually, you know, it's not going to be a huge amount of fees. So we're going to say no, but it's, yeah, it's hugely empowering when you do say no. And what's interesting, actually, is that um, if I think back to Two Circles experience, actually some clients we did great work for in the long run, the ones that initially we said no to, but explaining oh, really? why, yeah, yeah. but ex- explaining why it wasn't right for us, either because um, we couldn't focus on doing a great job for our existing clients because we were, we were ran resource-wise or we didn't feel like we were the right partners for them. A lot of ways sort of ended up winning their respect. Um, really, for, for really the longer term yeah yeah um i didn't do a very good job with that though because my my wife um my good team with my cfos my wife claire so we were two of the three that set the business up together and i was explaining that story to her <laughs> in, in a board meeting and i said you know so the, the truth of the story is that it's 15 years too late in my life i've learned the benefit of being hard to get <laughs> I got kicked, and I got kicked under the table. But we'll move on <laughs> swiftly from that. Maybe this is one of the bits we shouldn't leave in the final edit, Jack. Um, anyway, let's let's move swiftly on. Um, culture. So look, we, you know, the, your pride in in the culture you built, both domestically and internationally, kind of really comes to the fore. Um, in particular, with an international business. In particular, with a business that spent a lot of time being virtual in the last um last two years or so uh, how much do you proactively manage your culture and how much does it sort of happen organically build organically i would say that before covid it was very organic um and we really did you know we we live the values of our late founder david pinnington and you know those, those values about being trusted collaborative committed and restless and that was very much um mirrored to what he was like as a person and that's that's kind of how we've operated. And we've very much, because of that, had a family feel about Fuse. You know, when people leave, they always say, you know, Fuse has been part of my family and, um, you know, they'd love to go traveling or become a doctor or something completely different. And um, and that's just always been very organic. I, I think now post-COVID, and when actually, to be fair, we did a really good job on, on virtual as well. You know, lots of, lots of great... Um, you know, quizzes and bake-offs and cocktail making and wine tasting and things like that. Anything that you could think of we could do on Zoom, we, we did. But I think now, now that we're in this hybrid working environment, I think this is where we need to lean in more because, you know, we're operating in a 3T environment, three days in the office, two days um, working from home. And I think that that's where I think everybody has to lean in. And it's not just the responsibility um, of the board. It's got to be the employees as well. And for me personally, I, you know, I I lead the culture 
division, the culture club, I'm really, really passionate about this. I think, you know, I very much believe in the service profit chain. That If we've got happy employees, we're going to deliver great work and we're going to have happy clients and that will deliver revenue. So for me, culture is really important. And going back to what I said earlier, I think, you know, it's we spend so much time with each other. It needs to be fun. And so, yeah, we're just trying to work that out at the moment. And it's been good. We've obviously got a Christmas party tomorrow. I hope that's still going ahead. I'm not sure what Boris is going to say tonight. But it's really important to get people together, but also make it um, make it on the onus of them to sort of really lean in, especially during this hybrid hybrid world where we kind of, you know, it's, it's a trial at the moment. It's a six month trial. I'm sure we'll continue it. it you know, from a work perspective, it's working. Um, but it's great just to have people back in the office. It's great. And next year when we're traveling, we're going to all the markets and getting everybody together for a conference rather than a virtual conference and, and spending, you know, a good chunk of time with um, our, our leads in Germany and France and Italy. We've been we've all been through the mill a bit in the course of the last two years. How do you, on a personal level, um, how do you handle the bad days? Oh, it's not been an easy environment to lead through. How do you handle the tough ones? Um, so, two things really. I'm a big believer in self care, um, and I can really recognise in myself when I'm on the cusp of you know being too stressed or you know just needing to take a step back. And I think um, you know I, there's a couple of things that I do when I'm when I'm at that stage. I'm a big believer in acupuncture, so I have regular acupuncture okay. once a week, and that's just amazing. You just you know it's a my acupuncturist is like my, my fairy godmother, but it's just, you know, an hour out of your week just to sit there, say nothing and just relax. And that really does, um, really does help me. And then I'm I complete- might struggle to relax with in that environment, but <laughs> each to their own. You get used to it. You get used to it. And, um, and then on the other side, I go boxing. I, I go boxing twice <laughs> a week. <laughs> so yeah, yin and yang, I guess. But, um, but those are the two things that I have to keep regular and that keeps me sane. So needles or getting hit. No, but I've always fancied giving boxing a try, actually. For exactly oh, it's brilliant. That. It's fantastic. In this, obviously, I'm not in a boxing ring, um, but um, it's very much, you know, uh, in a old school boxing trainer who um, puts us through our paces to increase our fitness. But um, so those are the sort of two things, I think, from a self-care point of view. The, the other thing is I think um, it's really important to have a new peer group that aren't your team. So when you've had a bad day, you can let off steam. And so I'm very close with the two CEOs um, of other Omnicom agencies. So uh, Natalie Bell, who's the OMD MG CEO, and Laura Fenton, who's the OMD UK CEO. So it was really, it's really good to kind of be able to go for a drink with them, go for a coffee. And so I've had this situation happen. Have you had anything similar? And they're like, yeah, of course we did this. And, and likewise so that's been really important particularly through lockdown as well um you know having that sort of outlet to to just talk about you know how you're challenging how you've been challenged and how you're responding so those are the two things that keep me sane on a on a bad day but also as well you know there's an element you've just got to think what's happened has happened is in the past you can only focus on the present and how do you learn and you keep learning so how do I keep learning? Very good question. So I've been lucky enough to go on Omnicom um, University, which has been a um, four-year course, actually, yeah, now four-year course, um, completely brought together by Harvard Business School professors. So there's amazing, amazing um, tutors in there who are like sort of the rock stars of, of Harvard. And that has been incredible. It's all done on case studies. So you have a big pile of case studies to read, and that could be from Howard Schultz from Starbucks to um, case studies within the RO network across other Omnicom businesses. You read them, you go into a big lecture room that like you're going back to school and, um, and you discuss them and it, it's, it's amazing. It's really, 
not only is it just time out for yourself to think about you as a leader, but you're learning so much around different businesses as well because you're exposed to all these different case studies. So that's been really, really interesting. And there's, you know, there's so much that I take away from that now, but also from other people again, to, you know, another peer group to, to lean upon as lean upon as well. So I think that's been the biggest thing for me. Because I think when you're the CEO, it's quite difficult. You can't go and say, Oh, hi, can I go and go on a training course, please. There aren't that many things available. Um, so Omicron University was really lucky to, to get onto that, um, which was in Babson in, in Boston. Um, and, and then otherwise, I just try and read as much as I possibly can from, you know, obviously, um, obviously our um, sports pro and things like, you know, unofficial partner, which is hilarious. Those guys are great. But, you know, just many newspapers. I love the Sunday papers. I just try and absorb that as much as possible. And um, yeah, and those are kind of the main things, actually. I just love to absorbing myself in, in, um, in reading. I do think the, the case studies are great, actually. So a couple of times we had uh, ended up with free to download case studies from the Harvard um the Harvard website and just ran them with the team in two circles. We just talked about a, a very different business for an hour and a half. It's fantastic. And the beauty of them is there's no right answers. Yeah, exactly. You People know, so it actually it's just, yeah, exactly. Um, the only other thing I'd say I, um, I try and do to add into that mix is, is just try and hang out and be as uncool as I possibly can be with my <laughs> son and my daughter. Just because yeah. actually, like the way they consume tech, the way they think about the world, the way their lens on the next 10 years is, is going to fundamentally shift the way that either you or I leads businesses that we lead. So, um, listen, we've we've covered a hell of a lot of ground. Um, final question for you, if that's okay. We tend to ask everyone um, how, how they would sum up their main message from the pod. So, um, and we tend to give them 10 words or less to do this. Um, so if I gave you 10 words or less to sum up your main message. I'm not sure if this is going to be 10 words, but I'll have a go. <laughs> I can do a second one, a shorter one. Um, I think the main message for me is plan for the future, but understand that a business can change and that its environment can change. So as a CEO, you've got to take that leading role in making that change. And then I'll do a shorter one. If that's no, it's all right. <laughs> Hang on. If, if we went for plan for the future, but understand a business can change, that's 10. Yeah. Okay, That's there you go. Or well, my other one was, you know, work hard but have a lot of fun along the way. <laughs> That's a that's a very good one as well. It might allow you to, because actually oh, those two, two belong together. Listen, thanks, Louise, for taking so much time. Really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed. Probably that. revealed too much about being kicked under the table by my wife during the course of it, but you know, <laughs> made for an informal chat. So thanks ever so much. And thanks, Matt. The Playbook Podcast is published by SportsPro and is part of a wider series delivering agenda-free, pragmatic advice on how to navigate your organisation through change. To explore the library and find out about the Playbook Lab's residential executive training programme, head to sportspromedia.com slash playbook.